So I've got two simple questions as we begin to study scripture this morning. The first is, how much stuff do you have? And I just want to think, if you need to close your eyes, if you kind of have an imagination um, and, and kind of need to go through this, just think about how much, how much stuff do you have in your house? If you're at home online watching this this morning, you could kind of take a look around and maybe you're in your living room or where, wherever you are and you could start counting things. But just kind of in the picture uh, in your mind, picture the rooms in your house. Think about the stuff that you use regularly. You get your furniture, you get your clothes, you got your dishes, you get your food, your pantry, all of that kind of stuff. Stuff to work in your yard. So you've got a shed, so you've got the things that are in there. Think about the stuff that you don't use. Most of the stuff in your closets or maybe your attic or the garage or the shed, or the other shed, or the third shed, or the storage shed that you paid rent for to keep the stuff that you can't keep in your other three sheds. Uh, the stuff that you keep at your parents' house is still in their attic because you don't have room for, for it in yours. The stuff that you have at the office, you know, the list could, could continue. And that doesn't even account for all of the possessions that we have because a lot of the stuff that we have these days is virtual. So think about your streaming services, all the movies that you have access to, the TV shows. You start counting, I don't even know how you quantify that, right? The cryptocurrency you own and all that kind of stuff. That's not financial advice, by the way. That's, that's more just for giggles and, and all that kind of stuff, or, or not. Um, I, I don't even know how we would measure all of those things. If you were to catalog all of that, create a spreadsheet, I'm sure your insurance, would, would appreciate that maybe if you ever needed that. But in the physical world, how, how much stuff do you have? What size U-Haul would you have to rent to move? 42 foot, all right, some of us know, right, because you're in the middle of boxes everywhere in your house right now. If you were to count all the items, what would you guess your number would be? Would it be the hundreds? Probably not. And thousands, the 10,000s, the, you know, how, how much? And then think about, all right, how much stuff do I have? And then think about how much time do I spend for each of those items? All right, here's, this, here's the second question, and maybe this is, this is a really important follow-up to the first question. Nice and simple for us to consider this morning. How much of that stuff do you actually need? Maybe a little bit of a tougher question. All right, we catalog everything, and then we put a checkbox to all the stuff that we actually need. All right, so let's say that all of your stuff, you knew you're, you're going to go home today, you got two hours, and all of your stuff, your just house and everything that's in it is going to be gone. What do you get out? What do you spend the time? What, what do you really need? What are the high priority items that you would get out? What size U-Haul would you need then? And some of us are thinking, I can move pretty quick in two hours if I got enough people. Nearly all of us have more than we need, and a lot of that can be a blessing. I mean, I, I don't need two pairs of shoes, but it's really nice to have a newer pair and an older pair. The older pair I use to mow, mow in and till the garden up in. It's nice to take care of the newer shoes I have, right? So I have extra. And it's easy for me to make a case for everything that I own, especially all the books that I buy and yet still haven't finished reading. There's only one problem. Most of our stuff isn't only unnecessary, it's also robbing us of the ability to eliminate hurry. I've got this friend who is staging his house to sell, and he was looking for storage units to be able to put stuff, you know, because you basically make your house look like nobody lives in it in order to sell it, right? I mean, that's the, because that's our dream. For some reason, is to, to look at houses that are just picture perfect and yet not experience that when we actually live in them. I, I think that's crazy, but that's, that's just what we do. That's the thing. And so he's looking for storage units in his area. He couldn't find any the size that he needed, but it worked out for him because they had a couple that were too big for him and he was able to fill the entire thing with all of his stuff. 
you live in any one place long enough, and it's amazing the things that you can accumulate. You got a place with extra space. You know, maybe you went from that apartment to that first home, and you think, oh man, we got so much space to spread out. What are we going to do for furniture in this room? That kind of it doesn't take long for us to fill it, right? We do the same thing with a paycheck too. We get a raise, we get an increase in that. We're like, oh man, I'm going to have all this extra money in our bank account two months in. We're like. I thought we were going to have extra money in our bank account. We just find ways to fill that stuff. We clutter our lives. We don't leave margin. And we end up with hurried lives. We end up with busy schedules. And we are overwhelmed by the constant attention needed by our stuff. We probably have so much stuff that we probably don't provide the regular care and maintenance that we should on the things that we do have. So those break down. They create more inconvenience. They create more time, and they create more money along, along the way, the need for all of those things. And we're in a sermon series where we want to better understand what it means to follow Jesus in a much slower, more intentional pace at which we live our lives. Because most of us in this room, most of the people that we know are too hurried and they're too busy and we're unhappy with those things. We struggle with being still and knowing that God is God. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about being silent and being in solitude. We mistake the concept of Sabbath that's mentioned in the Bible, that rest and worship as an optional event rather than a primary rhythm of life. And those two primarily deal with how we take our time. And so we know if we practice those things in our life, we can start to eliminate hurry and be the people and experience life that God created us to be and experience. This week, our practice is more focused on our stuff and how it gets in the way of us being an unhurried disciple of Jesus. And that practice is simplicity. And here, let me just go through some quick hitting scriptures this morning. We're going to primarily be in Matthew chapter 6 here in just a little bit. But let me, let me share with you some things that Jesus says very directly about our material possessions. Luke 12, 15. Then, then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus says this to the rich man who wanted to follow him in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, perhaps we think because when we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, we are rich. We are the rich people. We think pretty sure Jesus didn't mean that literally. And yet the rich guy still walked away sad because... There was more to Jesus' words than maybe we suspect or would like to admit. Here's another uh, verse that deals with our stuff. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Well, I don't know. Is it? Maybe. Uh, Perhaps we think, it. well, it actually makes me feel better to know that life is more important than that, but what am I supposed to do with that teaching? Do I just not worry about my bills? Do I just not worry about the clothes that I need or the food that I, I, I mean, I've got to have food to survive. If I don't get lunch after church today, things are not going to go well, right? I'm pretty sure the bank will repossess my house, you know, if I don't take care of, you know, concerning myself with some of these issues. Or look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 4 when he talks about what kills faith. Mark 4, verse 19, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I mean, these are very direct, very powerful, um, very significant things that Jesus is saying about our stuff. Wealth is deceitful, and it can make the word of God unfruitful in our lives. 
Consider the rich guy that we referenced just a minute ago. After he walked away, this exchange with the disciples and Jesus took place. Because when, when the disciples heard Jesus say this, their understanding was that wealth was an indicator of God's blessing. And, and if you weren't wealthy, that was an indicator that God was not blessing your, your life. So that was a major issue. That was a major problem. When Jesus looks around and says to his disciples, he says, as this guy walks around, he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are amazed at his words because they thought, well, no, he's got to be close to God because God is blessing his life. But Jesus said it again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And as Christians, especially American Christians, we hear this and we kind of like to say and think, well, you know, Jesus is you know, he's teaching in hyperbole, and so surely it's not all that, that bad. He's not saying it's impossible for rich people to get in heaven. Sure, it can make it very hard for us to be focused on trusting God, but individually, we all think we're the exception to the rule, right? So, God, you can test me. Like, I, just let me win the lottery, and I'll, I'll just see how, how that works in, in my life. Just let, let me see, because I, I know I can, I can handle it for me. In fact, there's a legend about this text uh, the context of this text that began in the Middle Ages to kind of explain this a little way, uh, away just a little bit. Because when Jesus says this, he's, he's talking about the eye of a sewing needle, right? So camel, eye of a so, sewing needle, like can, can that fit through? Our answer is no. And so this legend about this text began in the Middle Ages that there was some gate in Jerusalem called the needle's eye. And so it was just actually hard for a camel to get through, but it could get through. There's no evidence at all that any such gate existed. And so the text is actually referring to a sewing needle, and, and Jesus is actually saying, hey, this might be more than just really hard. Jesus taught that less is more because our dependence on material things is one of the greatest competitors to our dependence on God. It distracts us. It takes our, our focus away from him. And sometimes we live as if those things are what are providing what we need in this life. And if we want to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our lives, which is keeping us from being the people that God created us to be, we must learn the practice of simplicity. You might wonder, well, how, do, how does living simply eliminate hurry? Well, what's the opposite of simplicity? Complexity. The more stuff we have, the more hustle it takes to keep all that stuff together. Just having stuff you don't need is the most basic example. You're working hours and you're putting in effort to pay for and maintain and have a space where you keep the stuff that you don't even use. You know, it's just in the way. All of us have that kind of stuff. We know, we know we do those things. We put them in the corners. We put them under the furniture. We put them in closets, attics, rental space. Most people live in a house uh, that is two sizes too big for them. I mean, most of us could live in a space that is half. I'm not, I'm not saying team tiny house here. That's not, that's not me. Uh, especially if you live with other people in the house, like, like space, space is good. Um, but most of us could m live in a much more modest place than we do, but we don't. Why? Because of our culture. Our culture tells us that we need certain things and this is what we should expect and here's how much square footage we need per person because we have too much stuff. Or maybe we just like the status of a bigger house or a better neighborhood or what whatever it is. Uh, guess what is required to maintain that bigger house and all that stuff that fits in it? It takes hurry and busyness. It takes more and more money to buy the bigger and bigger house which means more work and more responsibilities at our job and more hurry. It takes more maintenance, which means more work, more hurry. So how do we get to a place of thinking we need more than what we really do? Well, there's this lie in our culture that is pervasive. 
And then we're constantly being fed. And then is that more stuff will make us happy. Shopping has become the number one leisure activity in America. And how do we know? Well, because we recognize our Amazon delivery drivers more than we do our neighbors. I mean, think about it. Right now, right in this moment, we could get on Amazon and order just about anything we want. And we do. Those are the things, those are the things that we do. It hasn't always been this way. We used to be more needs-based consumers than wants-based consumers. I mean, there's a shift that you can look in advertising and within our culture. Before the 1920s, advertisers normally sold a product that simply described the qualities of the product. And so I want you to listen to some, ad, some ads that are, that are old school, right? So here's, here's an ad. This is from the 1800s for the Franklin typewriter. All right, you, you ready for this? The Franklin typewriter, visible writing, perfect alignment, simplicity, durability, speed. That's the ad. That's, that's what they said. All right, here's, here's Coca-Cola. All right, you ready? Well, old school Coca-Cola had more issues than, uh, than, than they knew, maybe, or revealed. Uh, but delicious relieves fatigue. Yes, we know why. Uh, <laughs> the most refreshing drink in the world. That's it. That's, that's the ad. Here's a rat poison ad. It clears out rats, mice, bedbugs, flies, roaches. That's it. That's, that's the ad. I mean, it doesn't also say and kills humans, but, you know, different, different era. Um, we, we get it. But starting in the 1920s, and then it really picks up after World War II, uh, ads started promising something else in addition to their product, in addition to describing the product. They also started to associate their product with happiness and with life experience. And we began to believe that more stuff means more happiness. Modern advertising is more along the lines of social engineering and propaganda. And, and perhaps we don't always think of it that way, but that is what is happening in our hearts and in our minds. Watch TV this afternoon and try to find an ad for a product that doesn't promise that you'll be happier if you purchase their product. The Christmas commercials where people surprise their, their spouse with a car. Listen, if you have ever done that, and you put a big red bow on it, no judgment for me, I think that's great. I would love for somebody to give me a car for Christmas with a big red bow, I think that is amazing. But this whole idea of, oh yeah, man, this is, this is what I'm gonna do for a spouse, you know, marriage saved, like the, we got a new car, we're happy, and look how perfect my teeth are, you know, when this, when this happens, and it's also snowing just the right amount of time, and we have these perfect clothes on. Um, the two hour infomercials about pans, you know, that are, they're nonstick, they're not, and they're copper, and Emerald Lagasse, I mean, he's out, bam, you know, you got these perfect things that it, it will change your life in the kitchen if you buy these products. I mean, you, it's just going to be amazing, and the studio audience is just eating it up. Um, they'll, they'll cook your food, they'll wash your dishes, they'll feed your children, you know, you'll babysit your children, you'll be so happy. The smartphone, that if you get it, you're going to dance with strangers in the subway, like that's what happens when you buy a new iPhone. That's why some of us don't, you know, like, I, I'm not in for that. Um, the cereal that will make your kids love you, you're their best mom ever, you know, if you buy Fruity Pebbles, well, that might be true, but, you know, the insurance commercials, I don't know, we're listening to talk, Talking Lizards, and, and Flo is just ageless at this point. I mean, she just, she just continues on. I'll be so much happier if I buy the right insurance. Play a game this week. Anytime you watch TV or anytime you see an ad or commercial, figure out, like, think about what they're actually communicating and what they're saying about, about this product. It is amazing to me how many, um, actually, that's, well, maybe I shouldn't say this. I don't know. I'm going to say it anyway. 
It is amazing to me some of the drug commercials that we see on, on our TVs and all the things about like, oh, here's this idyllic setting in the mountains and stuff. And we got to spend about five minutes telling you about all the ways that this will help you uh, actually kill you. You, you know, it's, it's like all these, here's the, here are the possible side effects. It's crazy what we do with these things. You have no idea if what they're selling actually tastes good or works or why you need it, but they just show you how much happier it'll be if you just go for it and make sure you have it in your life. And that is the lie. Car insurance is not going to make you happier. A new phone will not give your life meaning. Cereal will not make you a better parent. And that's not the only reason we have more than we need, but hopefully we begin to see how some of these um, natural cultural tendencies in our life put us in these strange relationships with our stuff and give us issues with materialism and begin to choke out maybe some of the joy and contentment that God desires for us to experience as we rely more on him than we do our stuff. Jesus, like I said, in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to unpack that a little bit more. Jesus talks about how our relationship to our stuff has a direct impact on our spiritual well-being and our physical well-being and our mental well-being in our life. And so in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is way before marketing started using psychology to convince us that we would be happier if we had more stuff. But Jesus states a simple reality. Our stuff isn't going to last. I mean, even if, we, even if we take really good care of it, it's not going to last forever. It's going to rust. It's going to break down. It's going to get stolen. And so... You know, it, does it mean that we don't enjoy the things that we have? Hopefully we have the capacity to do that. We can recognize it as God's blessing in our life and have enjoyment for those things. Absolutely. But see it for what it is, that, that they're temporary. They don't last. And instead, we're meant to spend our energy and our intentionality and our purpose and our meaning on things that do last. And simplicity is simply investing in the things that last for eternity eternally significant things. Those are primarily relationships. Relationships between each other, relationships with our neighbors, with strangers, um, even the way that we handle our relationships with our enemies. I mean, the, Jesus, Jesus talks about those things. And our relationship with God. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that, that last. We fill our closets and our attics and our storage units with stuff because it makes us happy. Maybe just in the moment, though. And Jesus calls this out and says, those things might might not, be, might not be making you happy, and they aren't, but they also might become your master. And you might be devoting a lot more time and energy to those things than you even realize that are keeping you from the good things that God wants for us to experience. And they're getting in our way. And maybe we find some kind of security in all the stuff that we have and all the status and all the money that we have, but in reality, those things are a false security because they are inanimate, powerless objects to which we give up power to. In ancient cultures, they had another word for that, and they called those things idols. Inanimate, powerless items that they gave all their power to and gave all their attention to and sacrifice to, they just called them idols. And so Jesus continues on, and he says in verse 25 in Matthew chapter 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? 
It might just be that our stuff is, is uh, not providing us with what we think they are. And so what do we do about it? When we see this, when we see what Jesus has to say about material possessions, how it impacts our faith, how it impacts our our physical and mental health, what do we do about these things? Well, I I just want to give you some quick hitting practical steps that we can put into place that we should at least be considering in our lives. And these come from uh, the book that we said that this is the, the, um, um, Inspiration, that's the word I'm looking for, inspiration for, for our sermon series. So this comes from the Ruthless and Elimination of Hurry. The first is this, before you buy something, ask yourself, what is the true cost of this item? Uh, when I buy a book, for example, it's not just that I buy a book and, and it's just there, a physical copy of a book. It's that I've got to have a place to store it that I probably should read it. At, at some some point, I'm, I'm you know confessing some things here when when I say that that it's it's going to take up space and it's going to take up effort in my life. Consider consider the the time that it will take away from other things in your life. That doesn't mean to say don't buy books. You should be reading. We should all be reading uh, and studying, and we should be at least reading reading the Bible. Right? I mean, learning more things is always good. Being continual improver continual improver in our lives that's that's an amazing thing. But think about the cost. And, and think about what's going on in your life. Will this take away time from my family? Will it put stress uh, of my ability to have margin in my life or in my day? What is the true cost of this item that I'm thinking about buying? The second thing is this. Before you buy, ask yourself, by buying this, am I oppressing the poor or harming the earth? Um, th- this, I think, could be a tough one for us because that's not something that we're used to considering within our culture. Um, at least depending on what your natural proclivities are in life. And yet we're called to be stewards, stewards in our relationships and stewards of God's creation. And we're partnering him, with him in those things. And so we've got to think just what, what's, what's, what's the impact? Should McDonald's exist? You know, I'm just, I just leave that, leave that for you to think about. No judgment there. I'm just kidding. Um, the third is this, never impulse buy. My dad, as a kid growing up, there, I'd want a comic book, I'd want a video game, whatever, whatever it was, and I'd be spending my own money, you know, mowed lawns as a kid, and, um, and, and he would say, wait a week. Just, just wait a week, and if you still have the same level of desire for that thing, you, you really feel like, hey, this is something that's well thought out, it's intentional, you kind of know what you're going to do with it, and I would just encourage you, that would be what I would say to you. Especially if, if you're young uh, out here, my kids, I tell, you know, try to not let them impulse buy. Hey, wait a week. Think about it um, and, and wait a week. Don't impulse buy. The fourth thing is this. When you buy, opt for fewer, better things. Um, we could buy three hammers within a five years time or maybe one hammer that'll last us 25 years. You know, the one hammer that'll last 25 years might cost a little more at the beginning, but the overall cost and the hassle over our lives, it makes a little bit of a difference. This is very subjective in how we think about this. I'm not saying don't ever shop at Walmart. We shop at Walmart all the time, but consider those things in our life, what, what we're doing. Yeah, um, consider how it's impacting impacting us and how it's affecting, affecting our lives. Consider the quality over the quantity. It might cost more in the interim, but cost less in the long term in our lives. Number five is this, when you can, share. I don't, this, this may be um, shocking. You don't have to own everything. Now, as a guy, for me, uh, when it comes to tools or sports equipment, or, I mean, I, yes, I, I need to own one of everything. It is very important that I have 
an entire lift from my car. It doesn't matter that I'm not a mechanic. I don't have one of those, by the way, but I don't think about, you know, I think about, oh man, it'd be really nice to, you know, own one of these so I can think about using it to change my oil and then still go get somebody else to do it. Those kinds of things. We don't have to own everything. And this is one of the beautiful practices of community maybe that we miss out on because we often think that we do, or at least we're, we're uh, marketed to as if we should all own every single thing. Let's share those things with each other. Number six is this, get into the habit of giving things away. When we do not create margin in our lives or in our bank accounts to give away our money and possessions out of an acknowledgement of God's blessing, we do not acknowledge that we are blessed. And so it's a practice that we miss out on that, that doesn't let us recognize what God is actually doing in our lives. Number seven is live by a budget. You just gotta, you've got to work on that and decide what that means for, for you. Number eight is learn to enjoy things without owning them. Um, one of the things that I've tried to do is look for a book in the library before I buy it. I mean, just very, very simple, simple things like that. We don't have to own every single thing. Uh, the other day, my kid asked me, his dad, are we ever going to buy a four-wheeler? I said, dude, I think that would be great, but think about, think about that. We don't have a place to put it. We don't have a place to use it. Uh, we, we know people that have them, though, and we can borrow those things, and we can go over there, and we can use that with them. We just got to plan it out, and we can, we can do those things. Would I love to have a four-wheeler? Absolutely. Would I love to have a 500-acre farm to use it on? Yes, I would. Uh, number nine, cultivate a deep appreciation for creation. Outside is free. It's absolutely beautiful. Yes, is there pollen everywhere and will I be sneezing my head off? Yes. Yeah, but out, outside is free and there are amazing things that God has created for us to enjoy in our lives. The natural antidote for materialism is the material world that God has created for us to live in and enjoy and partner in creation with. Uh, consider growing something this year. Tomato plant, something. Uh, cultivate a, a deep appreciation for creation. Number 10, cultivate a deep appreciation for simple pleasures. Some of you don't know this because you live here in, in town, but about 20 minutes up the road, if you look out into the sky at night, there are stars. And you can look at those things and you can be in awe and wonder at what God has done. A home-cooked meal I don't know when the last time maybe you've kind of done that together as a family and sat down and had family dinner. Just a good cup of coffee. I mean, some of us are like, we're mainlining it, you know, eight, cup of, uh, eight cups of coffee. Just take a second this week, your next cup of coffee, and just appreciate that simple first sip. Recognize, number 11, recognize advertising for what it is, propaganda, call out the lie. Make it, make it a game and kind of recognize and teach your kids and, and point it out to yourself and say, hey, what, what are they trying to get me to buy into? Is it the product or some other lie about this product? Number 12 is lead a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. And it's that last one I want to unpack just a little bit as a challenge for us this week. I mean, just something you could spend 30 minutes on this this week. And I'm telling you, it'll make a difference in how you think about your, your stuff. This week, find a corner of your life that you can simplify. And maybe even more specifically, find a corner of your house that you can simplify. Thin out a collection of things that you don't use. Donate clothes you don't wear. Give yourself fewer choices. Or otherwise, somehow intentionally fight materialism in your life. Look in your closets. Look in your corners. Look in 
under your furniture or maybe in your furniture for those things that we're kind of putting away, tucking away, and, and maybe reprioritize those things with other things and shift and clean out and measure it against the simplicity of storing up treasure in heaven versus storing up things in life. The goal in this challenge is simply to fight the complexity of life through simplicity and to learn to seek joy and contentment without buying into the propaganda that our stuff is what makes us happy. It might just be that it is your stuff that is making you hurried. So how much stuff do you have? Are we blessed? Absolutely. Are those things a blessing from God? Surely they are. But how much of that stuff do we need? And how much of that stuff might be hindering us in our relationship with God and with, with, with each other? And what are the things that are choking out the joy and contentment that God created us to experience with, with him? And what can we eliminate from our collection that might be in our way of practicing the simple life of joy and contentment with Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time of worship through your word where, you know, maybe these aren't passages. Maybe we're hearing these passages for the first time. And so maybe it's kind of a, an eye-opening look at, oh, I, I didn't realize my stuff could affect me this way. Maybe we've heard these passages um, countless number of times, but we need, we need that constant continual reminder in our life that it is not our stuff that satisfies, that, that we can only find that through you, that you create and graciously give all good things to us. And so let us not be distracted by things as, as, as what is giving us the good, that, it, that it's actually you. God, help us to seek you first. Help us to seek your kingdom first. Help us to store up treasures that are eternal versus temporary in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.